We had a really great time yesterday. Uh, we uh, had initiated, welcomed in our new deacons, our uh, eight new deacons, those who were able to be there yesterday, which was almost all of them, along with our ongoing deacons. We really had a great time together of uh, centering ourselves in what deacon ministry is, and, and it was a wonderful time. And then yesterday afternoon, your leadership council got together and uh, was praying about the, the vision of the church and working through some, some things together, and, and it was just a great Great day together, and I was reminded um, about on a beautiful sunny day, uh, people uh, being willing to give of their time and uh, to come and serve the Lord together. And it just is a reminder of the various ways that we are able to give ourselves back to the Lord in service to the church, and that's just one of many ways. And it reminded me of a Bible verse which says that uh, God loves a really grumpy giver. God loves people who get upset about giving of their time and giving of their money and giving of themselves to the church. That's not what the Bible says, is it? That God loves what kind of a giver? A cheerful giver. The Bible also tells us that it is far better to get things from other people than it is to give things away. Right? No. You're right to be like, that doesn't sound quite right. What's the Bible say? It is better to give than to... Receive. That's right. The Bible throughout talks about the importance of generosity and being engaged in the kingdom of God. And today, uh, in our few minutes before we share together in the Lord's Supper, I want to talk to you a little bit about what cheerful partnership is all about. And in recent weeks, we've talked through, we went and visited Ecclesiastes 5, my, I think my first sermon ever out of Ecclesiastes. So that was a fun Really great experience. And what we looked at in, in chapter 5 of that book was how uh, God, uh, He is the one who blesses with wealth. He, he blesses with the ability to enjoy the things that we have. And, and that is all part of God's blessing. Uh, and He does it in different ways. But what He warns us about, the Bible does, is that a life that, that centers itself around the accumulation of wealth will eventually find at the heart of their life a great and deep dissatisfaction. Because we learned that there's never quite enough, and uh, we were uh, reminded of the story attributed to John D. Rockefeller. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, supposedly someone went and asked him once, how much money, Mr. Rockefeller, is enough? And his response was, one dollar more. The problem with centering a life around the accumulation of wealth is that we are never fully satisfied if that's the focal point of all that we're doing. And we're reminded in Ecclesiastes 5 that what happens with the accumulation, the building of wealth, and the protecting of that wealth, if that is our lone center, is that it consumes our thought and our energy, both in the daytime and the nighttime. And we can't escape it, and it becomes, instead of liberating, it becomes a chain around us, dragging us down. And then we looked in the week after at Matthew chapter 6, and we tried to lean into what Jesus has to say about money. And, you know, money's talked a lot about in the Bible, because spiritually, there's, there is an inseparable link with how we think about money, how we think about wealth, what we do with the things that God has given us. And our heart. The two always go hand in hand because one is, is a symbol, is a barometer, is an indicator of the other. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we talked about ways that we can measure 
what we treasure so that we can be careful to allow ourselves in a disciplined way to to treasure the right things because our hearts will inevitably be drawn to the thing that we value the most. It's like gravity. It's a force spiritually that draws your heart and what is most important to you will be inevitably what you go toward. It's like the current of a stream. It flows and you go with it. And so... We talked about financial sharing in God's kingdom as an indicator of where our heart is. Because when God is our treasure, when walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ is our greatest treasure, then God has His greatest treasure. And God's greatest treasure is your heart. That's what God wants. He doesn't want your money so much, but what He wants is your heart, and He wants your whole heart And your money reflects where your heart is. Today I want to talk about partnership. And partnership and the idea of pulling together in the same direction. Pulling together because together we know that we can do more and greater and broader and deeper things than we can all alone. Um, I am told that a horse... If a horse is harnessed and and put on a a rope, a pulling device, that he can pull up to about a thousand pounds. But you put put two horses together, pulling in the same direction, they can pull up to 2,600 pounds. More than double, because they're sharing the workload. And so, for a few minutes, I want us to think about what partnership in God's kingdom looks like. And what is the Bible? What does it reveal about partnership? Because this is a word also used in the scripture. Um, and just three ideas that I want to capture and really let the Bible just talk to us. Is that okay today? If we just kind of hear some of the Bible, that's a pretty good idea for church, I think. Number one, what does partnership in God's kingdom look like? It's about giving of yourself. It's about giving of yourself. It's it's an emptying and a giving over of yourself into the purposes of God. It's giving yourself to God, holy, and giving yourself to the local church. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, the Corinthians. Open your Bibles if you have them. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The the Corinthians was a a church uh, met in a city. It gathered in the city of Corinth, the city of what we know as Greece now, and and it was a particular region, and Paul refers here to another region just north of where Corinth sat, and it's the region of Macedonia, and there were other churches there, and what was happening is that over on the the west, the eastern side of the Mediterranean in Palestine, where Jerusalem was, and the church that was in Jerusalem, they were having a really hard time, and and Paul and other church leaders were going around to take collection and go back and to help serve the church in Jerusalem. And here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This would be like us talking to California churches about how great the, the Oregon churches are. Those bad Oregon churches. Not quite that, but here's what's important to know. Is that generally, the churches in Macedonia were relatively poor compared to the church that met in Corinth. So that's important. So here, so we want you to know about the grace that was given to the Macedonian churches. This is one of the most amazing passages to me. He says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up. Now I want to just pause there. We're going to finish it in a minute. 
But their, their overwhelming joy, on the one hand, their extreme poverty, on the other hand, I don't know if you're like me, but in my mind, those two things don't usually go together. It's kind of like mixing oil and water. They don't like to mesh. Extreme joy, overflowing joy, and extreme poverty. But in God's economy, and in a relationship with Christ, and when Jesus is guiding the church... These two things, rather than being like oil and water, they mix together like apple pie and ice cream. It's an amazing transformation. Overflowing joy out of their severe trial, their extreme poverty, the Bible says, welled up to rich generosity to help the need that was in Jerusalem. It was an amazing reflection of the presence of Christ in the church and the power of Jesus to prompt a heart toward generosity. This is what partnership is about. Let's continue reading. For I testify, verse 3, that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. There it is. It's about giving of ourselves. That's a real key part of partnership. And cheerful partnership is a willing giving of myself to the Lord and to the church. So we urge Titus, since we had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, but just as you excel, listen, he commends them, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. According to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. According to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be fairness. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be fairness. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Partnership in God's kingdom is about giving of ourselves, cheerfully giving ourselves to the Lord and to one another. Partnership in God's kingdom is about a desire to share in the cause of the gospel. When Paul writes to the Philippian church in chapter 4, he's commending them and thanking them 
for their periodic support of his ministries. He would travel uh, to different cities and sometimes he would definitely work. We know Paul was a a tent maker and he'd work with his hands and uh, there were others who wanted to contribute and participate in his ministry and he was thanking them for their partnership in his ministry. And he says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. There's this desire both in the Macedonian churches, in this Philippian church, to share together in the cause of the gospel. So Paul, back in 2 Corinthians, when he talks about the desire to share, he gives some reasons why this is good, this idea of generosity is good in chapter 9. 2 Corinthians, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Listen, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. I wonder if he wrote that in big, bold capital letters. For God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful attitude toward the partnership financially of the partnership of sharing our gifts, the partnership of giving our time. It's cheerful partnership. He goes on. God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all the grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply an increase and increase your store of seed. Increase the store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, listen, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Your generosity results not in a pat on the back. Not in a way to go by us, but it's in thanksgiving to God for providing for the work of His church, the work of His kingdom, and how He desires to do that. Some of you are aware, some of you are not, of how our budget is formulated as a church. We're in the process of doing that right now. The committees and various ministry leaders have submitted what they think uh, God would be pleased to, uh, for the church to, to provide in their particular areas of ministry next year. Our stewardship committee is looking at that now. And we've been asking you now for the last couple of weeks to, to go and pray about your partnership um, in the coming year. In 2020, it's our 60th year of being a church, and it's an opportunity for renewal. Partnerships need renewal, and these are good moments every year to just think about and to pray about and ask God what your partnership of time, of of your energy, of your finances to participate in this church. Part of our budget every year is sent to something called the cooperative program. And that cooperative program is uh, like other Southern Baptist churches, thousands of them around the U.S. It it gets... captured together, and then it gets sent out and shared in various uh, various uh, ministries, things like disaster relief, 
It goes to support um, a global relief for the poor and uh, medical things. Uh, it helps support missionaries around the world. It helps support church planters across the U.S. It goes and helps support our, our seminaries. Um, I think every staff member in many ways here today and others in this church have benefited from uh, seminary education. Uh, I just want you to see, it's about a two-minute video. It just gives a little description of how the money that, that is contributed in this church gets used not just here, but uh, so many other places around the area. There are more than 7 billion people in the world today. Although it's nearly impossible to calculate, we can estimate that fewer than 20% know Jesus as their Savior. As someone who knows Jesus... The staggering reality of the world's lostness reminds us of the importance of the Great Commission. But what can you, one person, do? Or what can your church, a single congregation, accomplish? The truth is, you can make a big difference through the cooperative program. CP is how Baptists do missions, pooling the tithes and offerings from even the most humble incomes, and even the smallest churches, to reach around the world for Christ. Through the cooperative program, disaster relief teams help families near Redding in Northern California clean their homes after being destroyed by wildfires. CP has changed the lives of young professionals in San Francisco who have accepted Jesus as Savior through new church starting efforts supported by cooperative giving. Cooperative giving has also helped young pastors in Southern California become more effective leaders through coaching and mentoring networks. CP has transformed the lives of migrant farm workers with the gospel through evangelistic outreach and ministry, including groceries for families, new clothes for school children, and medical and dental services. Here's how the cooperative program works. It starts with you, giving yourself first to the Lord, and then giving back to Him through your tithes and offerings. Your church sends a portion of those tithes and offerings to the California Southern Baptist Convention which sends more than 32% of its annual budget to the Southern Baptist Convention. The rest goes into training and events to develop church leaders, Christian camping, higher education, as well as many other missions and ministries here in California. Finally, the SBC supports missions and ministries in North America and around the world. From seminaries to religious liberty to disaster and hunger relief to keeping more than 10,000 missionaries on the field. Because you give, because your local church gives, and because we cooperate as California Baptists, together we are fulfilling the Great Commission, the cooperative program. It begins with you and reaches into eternity. So as we conclude this morning and share in the Lord's Supper, um, We've been asking you to, to take this little insert home the last few weeks and uh, want to do that again and to really give it a bit of prayer, a good bit of prayer, asking the Lord financially as 2020 opens up, what is it that God would be pleased for you to, to partner and how might this um, communicate that partnership this coming year? Um, next Sunday, we're going to have a basket here as part of our service. 
Uh, we're going to bring these up and lay them in. You, you can fold it. It's not about uh, broadcasting it everywhere. You can put it in an envelope if you want. There's only a couple of set of eyes that actually see these. Uh, the stewardship committee takes the, aggregates the numbers, and then that's how we set our budget for the coming year. So uh, it really is uh, very anonymous uh, to, for you. Uh, but it is just a kind of an old school way of literally coming toward an altar and laying this pledge down as an offering to God. And so that's that's what we're going to do next Sunday. So bring this back with you next Sunday. Pray about it this week. Talk about it with whomever else in your home where you're affected or share your finances. Make sure this is something that you're able to do together. And on the back side, it's not just about money. It's about partnering together. So uh, it's a way of indicating ministries. Maybe you'd like to investigate a new ministry in the coming year or uh, try something new or add something or a shift to some other area of service. Uh, this is a way of indicating that as well. It's about partnering. It's not just about money, but it's about partnering, and money's part of that for sure. Uh, if you are, well, I guess I want to just remind you that, you know, I know we live in a day where there's so many opportunities to give, and they come at us all the time. Um, and we like to often know that we're giving to this, and it's doing this. This is the result of our giving. But I want to encourage you to think about... Um, what giving might be if it's not if it's not right now a habit for you to give toward the church as a as a discipline maybe think about giving if you've never thought about it just in this way similarly to the way you might think about prayer or bible study that you might do in a disciplined ongoing regular way here's why i find that important because it helps me structure my budget and every time I think about my budget, it's always part and right there in front of me because it stands as a constant reminder for me who is the source and the security of all that I have now and might ever have in the future. It's God. And God has given me the ability and so it's a, it's a regular reminder for me to do that. But then it also becomes a tangible expression regularly about my life in Jesus. If you're a parent, and you've never really want, uh, thought about uh, teaching your kids, maybe, you know, saving's important to you, but what does it mean to, to sow into their life a generous concept or, or giving them, um, helping them think about giving? Uh, a lot of parents find it helpful to, to think about three containers. So when your children get allowance or uh, earn some money by doing something, uh, three containers can be really helpful that you help your children every time they get money to put a little aside to save, a little aside to give, and then they can spend a little bit because they need some bubble gum once in a while or a new video game, right? They, don't they need new stuff? Maybe not so much. But the idea is to help sow in their heart giving and that part of what we receive is also then we can learn to give back. And you can accumulate that giving jar, that giving container, and uh, you can have them bring it to a, a church service one Sunday, and uh, they can give that back to the Lord. Uh, uh, our Lottie Moon offering, maybe there's a special offering the church takes uh, over time or some other way, but it's a way of them help learning that what comes to them can also go back out of from them in generous ways. Dave Ramsey, uh, our families enjoyed when our children were younger, a set of books that Dave Ramsey wrote. Uh, his son illustrated them, and uh, each of them talk about a, a different facet of, of finances. Uh, it's a, one is a warning about uh, how debt is detrimental and, and how to keep yourself out of debt. And it's written for a child's ear, and they're really great. One of my favorite expressions that I've learned, and I still use it occasionally with my children, is that when you need money, where do you go? You go to work. 
When you need money, where do you go? You go to work. Yeah, you go to you go to mom or dad. <laughs> but it's it's the anyway. There's there's just a lot of great things that, that you can learn, and we want to encourage you parents to to be teaching your kids and modeling for them what it is to live a generous life and to help them along the way. So as we turn our attention now to the Lord's Supper, I just want to invite you to be thinking about. The idea that you know we, we're able to give, whether it's financially or of our time, because God has given so generously to us. And we even gather in a place like this to return our heart's response back to God because He has first come to us. He's come to us in Jesus. He's come to us in the cross. And uh, we remember that this morning. Let's sing, Steve.